Well, good morning, Bedrock. How's everyone doing? All right, good, good. Well, I have a question for you. Do you ever feel like God isn't working in your life? It just feels like there's a distance and maybe you feel like when you pray, it's like the prayers are just hitting the ceiling. It, it just, you don't sense God's goodness and his presence in your life and you can feel very alone and you don't understand what God is doing. Today, as we jump into uh, Luke chapter 4, we're going to be looking at this passage where I think Jesus shows up in a way that people didn't expect. And when he does that, a lot of people miss Jesus and what he's doing in the world. And I think that that is the same for a lot of us when we are thinking about and praying about and seeking the Lord in our life, and he's doing something different than we expected, we can tend to miss what's happening. I don't know about you, but there's things that I've missed in my life because I was looking for something different. And I wonder if today, if maybe for some of us, we don't feel like God is working in our life because God is different than we thought. In fact, that's what I entitled today's message, God is different than I thought that he operates differently, that he does things differently, and they're not according to my plan. And they're not according to what I would want him to do or how I wish things went. And so what can happen for us is because we're so hyper-focused on what our expectations are, that God is moving over here and we're missing everything because we're looking in the wrong direction. This morning where we begin to open up the scriptures is we find ourselves in Nazareth. Nazareth is the town where Jesus uh, lived and grew up as a young boy. And so how many of you know that sometimes it's hard to get out of being who you were when you grew up? Right? Everyone sees you for that, you know, 14-year-old kid or that 10-year-old kid. And you're you're never not going to be that. Like you're stuck. Well, Jesus is going to go back to Nazareth to celebrate Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the Jewish New Year. In fact, we just celebrated Rosh Hashanah. Uh, In fact, it ended yesterday. But this is the marking of the New Year in Judaism. And what is happening in this passage is Jesus is going to talk about something called the Year of Jubilee. The Year of Jubilee happened every 50th year in Judaism. And what would happen is, is if you owed a debt, if you sold your property, if you were in trouble, something like that, every 50th year, it was a year of celebration and release from bondage, a release from debt into what God had for you. And what would happen is if like uh, you bought a piece of land from someone five years ago, well, guess what? They get the land back. It's just a long-term lease, right? Because God orchestrated in the book of Leviticus that people would not be left destitute. How many of us could use a year of Jubilee? Could our country use a year of Jubilee? Like, doesn't it feel like, man, I wish that there was just a year where everything was released. Debt was released. We got some of that land back. We got some of these things back. But, but it has a deeper meaning than just stuff, The year of Jubilee is really God telling you that there is a year and a time that all people need where they need freedom. And so tonight and this morning as we look at what God is going to do, we're going to open up in this clip as Jesus is coming into Nazareth. And how many of you have been to your old hometown and everybody sees you, but they have the story about you written in their mind already? That's where we're going to find ourselves this morning as we open up with this first clip. Check it out.
First point today, we all see what we want to see. We all see exactly what we want to see. Lazarus wants to see his friend embarrassed, right? He's a schmoozer. Have you met a better businessman in the world? Mary wants to know if he's the Messiah. Martha's not sure. Rabbi Benjamin really just wants to see, like, his reputation grow with Jesus's. It'd be great for him to talk so that everyone can see how much you taught him. Oh, yeah, that does sound pretty good. That does sound encouraging and exciting. As Jesus was entering into uh, Nazareth, we find ourselves in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Look at what the scriptures say here. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. That's going to be really important here today. Because the way the day starts and the way the day ends are very different moments. And a lot of us forget the fact that there are times that because of God's good plan in our life and the way that he does things, he will, by the power of the Spirit, lead us into situations that we didn't expect ourselves to find ourselves in. But he has a better work for us. That God is moving Jesus into this moment. And it's an important moment Uh, As the verse continues, it says, And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. Jesus is famous. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Praise is going to change here in just a minute. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. So what does that mean? Jesus was a regular church attender. Jesus, being God, found it important to attend and worship with God's people. He stood up to read, which is a common moment where the rabbi or teacher would stand up and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written and we'll get to what it said in just a second. But here's the reality that I think we see in the beginning of this scripture and where we're going to find this episode is going to take us is that we all see what we want to see. And sometimes a lot of us are missing what God is doing in our life because we are seeing what we want to see. We're seeing that, well, that's not the way that I would have done that. And that's not the way that I would have planned this. And that's not the way that this should have happened. And I don't know where you are. Are you even working in my life? Are you even here? Are you, are you moving and, and, and are things happening? And this is exactly what happens in the moment. In fact, I find it Funny, I think the person that is the most revealing is Rabbi Benjamin's wife. She says, oh, we've heard so many things, all of the miracles and all of the the healings and and all the other things. And, And we've even heard that you've claimed to be the Messiah. And before she lets Jesus answer, she says, but not the Jesus that I know. That's not what I see you doing. I remember when you were a 12-year-old little boy running around here. That wouldn't be you. That wouldn't be Jesus. And I wonder how many of us have the same conversation with God today. Well, I, I see all of these things, and I see there's some calamity in my life. Or for some of us, we have a hard time being blessed. It's not the fact that we find ourselves in calamity. We don't feel worthy of blessing. And so we start to see these things happening in our life and we go, not the God that I know, not exactly what I would see him doing. And so what we begin to do is because what we, are, what we want to see and what God is doing are very different than what we do is we say, well, God must not be moving in my life. 
But here's the reality. God is moving in every single person's life every single moment of the day. Even today, you woke up, your heart kept beating last night. There was air for your lungs this morning. You didn't die of a brain brain aneurysm in the middle of the night. That God operated and moved and worked in your life last night while you were sleeping. But because we're not used to seeing that as this divine thing, how many of us just woke up and the very first thing we said was, thanks for air today. Thanks that my heart kept beating last night. Thanks that this happened. Instead, what many of us do is instead of seeing the movement of God in our life to get us through this next day and this other day, we begin to start with our worries and our problems first thing on our mind and go, why isn't God working in that situation? But he is. He's just moving and and orchestrating things behind the scenes that we cannot always see. In fact, what I find is this. We have a hard time having gratitude when we don't see God for who he really is and what he's really doing in our life. That we have a hard time walking through this life and what can happen for many of us is that the only thing that we focus on is the only area that it seems like God isn't moving. And then we say, well, where is he? And why isn't he doing something? And what is happening? Or this should be faster. This should happen sooner. And just like the people there started to miss who Jesus was, who was right in front of them because he was doing something different than they expected. As we go into this next scene, we're going to find ourselves in the synagogue that they are now preaching in the evening. And Jesus is going to open the scriptures in an incredible way. And what you're going to notice is, is people start to get uncomfortable because God is doing something that people didn't expect. And how many of us know, and maybe you feel this way too, when God does something you don't expect, it gets a little bit uncomfortable, right? You want like the very easy, smooth version of life where nothing happens. But how many of us, if things didn't go perfectly in our life, if things didn't happen perfectly in our life, we would realize our need for God. In fact, even the people, as we hear in this next scene, they kind of question their need for God. They, they need a Messiah to come and get rid of Rome, but they don't necessarily see a personal need for a Savior. Let's check out this next clip. Things change there real quick. Do you notice the guys were excited when he starts talking? And then he says, I'm not here for vengeance. I'm here for salvation. And immediately, everyone's countenance changes. Right, because Jesus is saying something different than they expected. In fact, if you know where that scripture comes from, it's from the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 61 and verses 1 and 2. What's interesting about as Jesus reads it and says it in the scriptures we're going to look at in just a second is he leaves off the second half of verse 2. He says that he has come here to proclaim the good news. He has come here to proclaim freedom. He has come here to do all of these things. He is here for salvation. And then Rabbi Benjamin goes, yeah, but what about the vengeance part? Don't you know that we're oppressed by the Romans? Don't you know that people are coming into our lives? Don't you know all of these things are happening? Why would you leave that part out? Because what Jesus is here for is that he is here for us 
and not our agenda. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. I'm not here for your agenda. I'm not here to kill Rome. I'm here for you. I'm here to rescue you. And yes, the day of vengeance will come, but it's not today. For today is about me rescuing my people. What do you mean you're not here for vengeance? What do you mean you're not going to do this yet? What do you mean that's our expectation of the Messiah? He will be this warrior who will come and kill Rome and kill all of our enemies. And Jesus is here and was there to kill their enemies, but he was there to defeat their greatest one. He was there to kill sin and death. He was there to also rescue Rome. How many of us were asking God to do something in our life right now? And we have such a a, a kind of like a, a finite view of what God is actually doing in our life when he's actually accomplishing the greater good. But we start to miss it. What do you mean? What, why, why isn't this bad memory gone? Why did, why did that happen in the past? Why did this go on? Why, why didn't this happen It was my dream to play this or to do that or to be in this kind of business. Why am I not married yet? Why am I divorced now? Why don't I have kids? Why do I have so many kids? (laughs) Well, you know why you have so many kids. So Jesus opens up here in verse 18 of chapter 4 of Luke and listen to the words of the scriptures. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Notice that the spirit led Jesus to Nazareth and now Jesus says the spirit of the Lord is resting upon me. He is saying I am the fulfillment of the suffering servant in Isaiah. I am him. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. That word good news is the same word that you and I translate gospel. This is good news that Jesus has come into the world. And he says to the poor, Jesus does not mean the financially destitute. Jesus means those who are spiritually poor. And the Bible describes us as before coming to faith in Jesus Christ, that we are spiritually poor, that we are destitute. We don't have much to offer God spiritually. We need rescued. And he sent me to proclaim freedom to the, for the prisoners in recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of jubilee. The year of freedom. Jesus is saying in not so many words, I am the one who brings the year of jubilee. I am here to rescue you from your debt. I am here to rescue you from these things. And no, it has nothing to do with money. I am here to save you from your sin debt. I'm here to save you. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fasted on him. And he began saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? This dude didn't even go to college. This guy like barely finished Hebrew school. How does he talk like this? Because you weren't expecting him to be the Messiah. You weren't expecting him to be God in flesh. 
You weren't expecting him to not only know the word, but to be the one who had written the word and who had inspired the word and who now was the word who became flesh. And so Jesus is teaching. And did you notice that Jesus does not shy away from the language of I am him. I am here for salvation. What do you, what? What do you mean? You're just this little boy. You're just this kid who grew up here. Your dad died and he was a carpenter. You were a carpenter. What are you talking about? What is happening? And Jesus right in front of them is telling them exactly what they need to hear. And what they need to hear is going exactly over their head. Because it wasn't what they expected to hear. How many of us in this room were missing what God is doing. Because we think that God is here for our agenda and not his. In fact, like maybe like for me, like becoming a pastor, I thought was nearly impossible because I, my past, I didn't have a, I don't have a perfect past. I messed up a lot. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Like I, I messed up a ton and I, I dealt with, you know, the verse where Paul says, well, I, I am the chief of sinners. And, and he talks about the fact that he, like he, I'm the worst of it. I'm like, well, well Blake Harkup wasn't born yet. You don't know. I, you can't say that yet. That's how I feel about myself sometimes. Do you feel that way? Like, Paul, come on, man. You're like kind of Christian famous. Like, come on. How bad could it really be? But do we all feel that way in our own mind and in our own heart a little bit? Don't you wish that your past was just pleasant and perfect? But let me ask you something. That may be your agenda, but would you be in this room today if you had lived a perfect life? Would you have met our Lord and Savior because you knew you needed rescue if everything had gone perfectly in your life? Do some of us need to look at our lives and what is pain can become praise because it's brought you to where you are? But the agenda is different. And some of us look back and go, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why didn't you intervene? And God says, I did intervene. I've rescued you. I have intervened. I've saved you. I have, have come for you and not your agenda. And so how many of us in this room, maybe just for a minute, even if your agenda is good, even if your agenda is holy and righteous and all of these things, God is not here for your agenda. He is here for his. And let me just give you some good news. His agenda is better. It is. It's better than anything you could have hoped for or imagined. It is better than anything you could have conjured up. And what the enemy meant to kill you, God is now bringing in for good. And because God has such a good plan, let's give God praise in this place. And because God has such a good plan for you in this room, and no one is exempt, by the way, that he took these things, and as Romans promises us in Romans chapter 8, 28, that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Let me tell you what that verse doesn't say. All good things happen to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. What it does say is, God's got a greater plan than your problem. And he's going to use it to glorify himself and to prosper you forward.
Because he's not here for your agenda. He's actually here for his. In your holiness and you being made more into the image of God through trial and through suffering and through blessing and through joy is a great purpose of his as he refines you and molds you as clay into the image of his son. But how many of us know going from a block to a vase probably hurts? Right? I mean, you gotta get, there's a lot of pounding and kneading and shaping and molding. It probably doesn't feel great for the clay, but something beautiful comes out of it, does it not? Couldn't I just have been a vase? Couldn't I just start it that way? Nah. Something so much better than that. Well, as you can tell, people are a little perturbed. This is not the agenda that we had. This is not what we thought it was going to be like. And Jesus is looking at them and telling them, I am Isaiah, the the great suffering servant. I am the one of Isaiah 53. I am the rescuer. I am all of these things. I am here for salvation. And they're like, well, that doesn't equate with what I thought God was going to do. And they're going to turn. And what the day started out as praise, it's going to turn into a big problem. Let's check it out. He just had a brain aneurysm. That's like not his agenda. What happens in that moment, there's a couple different reactions. Mary's excited. She's like, is he about to say what I think he's about to say? Because I think he's going to say the thing he's not supposed to say. It's about to get real. Rabbi Benjamin is trying to figure it out. His friends are turning on him. Lazarus is trying to get out of the situation. And Jesus isn't there for their agenda. He's there for his You know, what's really incredible about this passage we're about to read is the allusion to Elijah and Elisha. Jesus is telling them a people. You know, Jesus says a prophet is not welcome in his own town. He doesn't mean Nazareth. What he means is his people. That Jesus is trying to tell his people something. And they're not hearing it because their agenda is so different than what God has for them. Luke 4, verse 23. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. It means, come on, do a miracle. You've been doing these miracles everywhere else. But how many of us know that if you become a miracle type of people, then you always need a miracle to believe? And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what you have heard, what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet, which is interesting. That word truly is the exact word a prophet would use as he was speaking to people. Truly, verily, honestly, this is the truth of the moment. I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was, was not sent to any of them, but to a widow of Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Here's what that means. A Gentile, a person that does not belong to the seed of Abraham. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha. 
the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. They believed in what God would say because it wasn't according to their agenda and how they thought that God would behave. They accepted God for how he responds and they receive the miracle. That because they had no agenda and they just received God as he was and not who they wished him to be, that they were rescued. Because it wasn't their agenda and all of these things that they had built up and all of these things that they had brought together. And what Jesus is about to say to them, and the reason they get so upset is this. They catch on to what he's saying. The message is going from just Israel to the world. It's going to everybody. The message is moving and going forward. If you remember last week, as we talked about them going out two by two, Jesus said to the Jew first and then the Gentile. The gospel is being opened up now to the Gentile. And what Jesus is saying is, look, you, you, you don't understand what I am saying. I am here for the world. I am not just here for your agenda. I am not just here to establish this new kingdom where Israel lives in Jerusalem. And this is the way that it is. I'm here for something so much better. Let me ask you a question. Who is Jesus to you? Like, honestly. Like when we start thinking about Jesus and we start looking at Jesus and we start reading the scriptures, are we reading what we want in the scriptures or are we allowing the scriptures to read us? Who is Jesus to you? Right? We, we have some weird things in our culture. I remember years and years and years ago, um, I don't know if you guys remember this, they had t-shirts and stickers and all kinds of things. There's a sticker that was, Jesus is my homeboy. Do you guys remember this? And it was like Jesus with two thumbs up. And he said, Jesus is my homeboy. Uh, I don't need a homeboy. I don't need a friend. I need a savior. But how many of us look at God and go, well, yeah, he's my friend. He's my homeboy, right? So he's kind of cool with whatever I do. He's kind of cool with whatever happens. He's just kind of, Jesus is my friend and I am a friend of God. Yes, God loves you, but he is your father in heaven that he is so much more than just a friend who overlooks things. He is a savior who died for things to rescue you. And so how many of us, like when, when we look at this moment, like Mary is excited with anticipation. I think he's the Messiah. Martha's unsure. Lazarus is freaking out and thinking, Jesus, you're just starting trouble. Rabbi Benjamin thinks he's a false prophet and everyone gets upset. Everyone has a view of Jesus. Everyone has an opinion on Jesus. Everyone has something to think about Jesus. But do you believe in who Jesus says he is in your life today? Like, are his own words enough for you and I? That he's our savior and he is our rescuer and that he promises that we will go through trial and we will go through suffering and we will go through persecution, but to fear not for he has overcome the world. Or do we look at that moment and these things come in to us in the culture and in our faith? I mean, I think some of us look at the culture and go, "Where, like, God, are you even moving? Do you see how your church is being pressed against? Do you see the persecution we're experiencing? Do you see the worldview changing? This isn't my agenda. I just want to be happy Christian and everyone's okay. And Jesus goes, I told you the agenda. I told you what was going to happen. And I know that this is hard. 
And I know that this isn't, doesn't feel okay all of the time, but I have promised you that I have overcome all of this. And the world will hate you because it hated me first. But have courage, for I have overcome the world. And so could we just for a second move our eyes off of the obstacle and move our eyes off of the things that are not going according to our plan and lift our gaze towards heaven and say, I don't understand it all, but your agenda and what you want to do in your call in this world is so much better than mine. So Lord, help me see you. I think we find ourselves so many times missing what God is doing because we see Jesus for who we want him to be and not who he actually is. And then we run into despair and then we start to float away and then we start to do all of these things. Even for some of us, like we look at our past, we look at what happened to us, we look at what we've done, and we go, why couldn't it have been different, and why isn't it different? And instead of going, God, you used all that, you used all my mistakes, you used all of these things, you used my sin, and you saved me, but it was my need for you that made me desperate for you, that has moved me towards you, that I know I'm lost I know that I'm in desperate need of a savior. And do some of us need to look at our past and praise God and go, thank you, Lord, because that brought me to you. And then it doesn't excuse everything and it doesn't always take away all of the pain, but the pain can become praise because you see its purpose in your life. And you know what else that does? When you don't believe you're perfect, then you're able to minister to everyone else who isn't. Like, guys, there is no, like, facade in this room. We have all messed up. Me, you, us. But man, and, and what is such a heartache, you know, I think all of us get haunted by the ghost of the past. We do. And we go, why'd this happen? Why'd that happen? What's going on? And that wasn't the way I wanted my work. And I'm, I'm sick of dealing with the past in my future. And I'm sick of dealing with the past in my present. I just, like, why? And could God be looking at you and saying, I know all of those things, but I have meant was to take what was meant to destroy you, and I have drawn you to me because of it. And I have rescued you. And that past is gone. It is not who you are anymore. You are a son and daughter now, and you are not the worst things that you have done in your life, even though our culture wants to do that to you. Have you not noticed that? People's whole legacies can disappear in a second because of something they did 35 years ago. What kind of world is that? And all that world shows us is this. This isn't the way that it's supposed to be. This isn't the way that God wants it to be. God has such a better plan. And so you in this room right now, is Jesus enough for you? And you know what I find in the people, and here's where the agenda thing really kind of pops its head in many of our lives. The agenda thing pops its head in many of our lives when this happens. We want the miracles of God. We don't want the holiness. We really, we're like, you, you, I need a savior. No, no, I don't like that. Just can you heal somebody? I need this. Can you do that? Like we we, we want the miracles, but not the holiness. And Jesus is calling them to holiness, and all they wanted was a miracle. And so as we take a look at this last clip, I think we're going to see something 
uh, beautiful. So let's check it out. Luke chapter 4, verse 28, on all the people in the synagogue were furious. Remember, they were praising him just a second ago when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built. When we take you to Israel, we take you to this hill. There's only one hill that Nazareth is built upon. We'll take you to the spot. In order to throw him off the cliff, that's what you did with false prophets. What they would do is throw him off the cliff and then drop rocks on top of the person. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. And here's the reality. What we think of God isn't going to change his good plan. What we think about God and how God is moving in our lives and what God is doing in our lives, because he loves you and he loves me, it's not going to change his good plan. And do some of us need to hear today that, that yes, you may be struggling. Yes, you may be worried. Yes, you may not see it. Yes, you may not understand. Yes, this may be harder than you think, but your opinion of who God is right now and what God is doing in your life or not doing in your life is not going to change his good plan for you. And what they thought about him in these words and in this scene wasn't going to change what he was going to do. God's plan is unstoppable. And so for every person in this room, I want you to hear these words. God's plan for you in your life is not, un, it's not stoppable. God will accomplish exactly what he wants to in your life. And one day we will look back and look and go, oh my goodness. What a beautiful story you have weaved my life to be. And all of that pain and all of that suffering and all of that wondering and all of that worry and all of that anxiety and all of those things, if I only would have known. But do you need to know the end of the story right now or do you just need to know the one who's writing it? Some of you have a favorite author and you know how they write. And you pick up the book and if not, it's not a good book if there's not a cliffhanger, right? It's kind of like, this was boring. This was a textbook. But... A lot of us live with security as we read the book and the anxiety doesn't get too bad because we know how the author writes and we know at the end it works out. Right, if you're an adult in here and there's like a movie, you know, if you're a kid, you're like, everything's gonna end, oh my goodness. If you're an adult, you're like, the good guys win. They almost always win, right? So it removes some of that anxiety. The question is how? Could that be our approach to our life when it comes to God? I don't know how, I don't know how this all works out. I don't know how God's going to use this, but he always does. And you know what? When he writes a story, it's always a good one. And so today, like you may not see God working in your life because your eyes are focused on the wrong area, but you need to see what he is doing in your life. And as we end this morning, I just want to say this, his way is better. And what his way produces in our life is always better. And so today, we just need the faith to trust in what he's doing. And you may feel like what is going on in your life is crushing you right now. But he is using it to build you right now. Do you trust the author of your life? And so as we get ready to end, I just want to pray over us today. And for us to see God for who he is and see God for what he's doing. And it may not be what we expected, but could we have the anticipation that it's better than we could have ever anticipated? 
And so would you join me in praying this morning? Father, we love you. God, we thank you so much for your word and your truth. And even today, God, I thank you for your love towards me and towards this church and towards every single person hearing this word right now that you are not done with them, that you have a good plan for their life and you have something going on in all of this turmoil and all of this hurt and all of these things. You will work it for good in their life. And so, God, today I ask and I seek after you, and and I ask for us to have open eyes, to see what you are doing, because you're different than we thought, but you're so much better. And so, God, today I pray that you give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and to move forward in this moment and to know that you are good and that the story that you write is incredible and that we would trust you even when we don't understand. And so God, today, would you give us faith? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for everything that you are doing. Help us to hold on. We love you in Christ's name. And everyone said,